Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson here with you. And as I often do, um, I'm going to give you a little preview of what's coming up. So later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's wondering, how does someone, if you are a virgin, navigate whether or not you want to marry someone who is not one? So there's a lot of fears around this, a lot of concerns, a lot of like, where do I even go with this in conversation? So one of our counselors, Jeremy Keaton, is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, J.P. Pakluda is back with us to share about a new book that he has written titled, Why Do I Do What I Don't Want to Do? If that sounds familiar, it's from the Bible. So we're going to have part one of our discussion with him about letting go of bad habits and vices and mindsets and replacing them with godly ones. So stay tuned for that. Okay, we are here for our roundtable, and we have got my friends Georgia, Tommy, and our own John Pearden here. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hey. How's it going, Lisa? All right, good to have you here, and we're going to have a a conversation, this is very practical, on the importance of morning routines. Maybe some of you listening don't even think morning routines are important, or maybe you are one of these artists who can just like get up at any time. You don't necessarily have to have a routine, but I think most of us would say that there is some comfort, some value into feeling like you know what's going on in the morning, especially if you work an eight to five job or you have to like hit meetings or you have to be somewhere by then if you're in school. So um, the first thing I want to ask you guys here at the table is just what is your morning routine? And you have to be pretty honest here because <laughs> if yours is a hot mess, please tell us because I want to feel better about myself. So John, how about you start? So I love to say that I'm a all or nothing person. And to be honest right now, that's very applicable to my morning routine. Okay. It's either really awesome or I hit my alarm clock six or seven times before I get up. And then I get up just in time to go to work and grab something in the pantry for lunch. So this morning was unfortunately the latter. But there are some days where I get up in the morning and I read my Bible, drink coffee before work, and I Mm -hmm. feel great. And then there's other mornings where I'm sleeping until seven after I've punched the alarm clock half a dozen times. So right now it's a bit of an inconsistent struggle. So what do you have in your pantry that you can grab that you can eat for lunch? What are, what are we talking about here? Like Funyuns or what? Uh, right now it's ready rice oh, that I can just okay. put in the microwave okay. and then some canned meat. That so you're, I... you're prepped for that at least. Yeah. Oh, and some canned meat. Okay. Yeah. I combined the two. Okay. That's good. Tommy, how about you? Yeah, I would say I typically have a pretty strict uh, morning routine waking up around 5.30, 6, um, get a good breakfast. Um, typically then um, during that time, drinking a cup of coffee and getting into the Word. We'll follow some kind of devotion and then typically prayer and heading to work. Um, so that w- I would say that's a pretty strict routine that I kind of try to hold to. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that hinges a lot on whether I get to bed on time. Okay. <laughs> um, it can definitely be thrown out of whack. Okay. If... But that's pretty much like your kind of every day. That would be your norm. I would say so, yeah. Okay. So that's a good contrast to some of us. Georgia? I was going to say 530 is <laughs> scary. Um, I would say I have a pretty 
like not strict routine, but I every day I have certain things I do. And then depending on, yeah, whether I went to bed early or not, I just condense those things into a shorter time period. And if I have longer time, then I add those in. So usually I'm pretty much up by 6.30 because my dog is like, I need to pee. So then I put her out. And then when she's ready to come in, we snuggle for a bit. And then, <laughs> and then I kind of do like my skincare routine, listen to worship music. And then I always do oil pulling. If you don't know what that is, the granola girlies do. And then <laughs> I get dressed and I get ready to go. You've already mentioned like five things that I've never had in my morning routine. So what in the world? I mean, I don't snuggle with dogs. I don't do oil pulling. I don't... Okay, we'll have to talk uh, more about that. That's very interesting. Okay, so what would you guys say? What's something other than like putting clothes on and, you know, hopefully brushing your teeth or whatever? What's something that if you absolutely can make it happen, it's going to happen? It's kind of a non-negotiable in your morning routine. Coffee is definitely mine. I have a coffee maker that it actually has a timer on it. So I will grind beans the night before. Okay. And that way... I can just set the timer that night, and when I wake up in the morning, it's already ready. So that is pretty much always my go-to as far as waking up. Okay. Yeah, I would say for me, it's uh, definitely got to be reading my Bible. Um, That, regardless of the time that I get to bed, it's typically like, okay, I would like to leave half hour, you know, 45 minutes, something like that, Mm -hmm. um, to really try to spend time in the Word. Mm, That's good. Um, probably worship music and making my bed. I don't like it when my bed is not made because oh. then it's not fun to get into it later on because it's ugly. Yeah. that <laughs> It's so funny you mentioned that, Georgia, because that is a habit. I just finished reading a book on habits. Um, in fact, we'll probably talk about that book on the show at some point here. But the whole idea of like, you know, people say, oh, you need 21 days to build a habit. And the latest research is saying that's kind of bogus. You actually need somewhere between 65 and 70 days to really build a habit. And depending on how easy the habit is, it can be lesser time. But that for me is something that I did I don't know how long ago, but I started making my bed every morning and I think I'm finally getting into the habit groove Mm -hmm. because I will walk out of my room and see that not made and it's becoming a little bit obsessive for me. I need to go back and and make it. Yeah, it's funny that you you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what about your morning routine irritates you? Like where if you could just be awesome, what would you do differently to it? I mean, I know, John, you said you're all or nothing, but so when you're your all, what what are we talking about? Like, what, what do you feel like would so much improve it? And are you taking any steps to kind of move in that direction? Yeah, certainly kind of what Tommy said earlier, getting up and reading the word is huge. Hmm. So one thing that I'm doing this year is last year I did a read through the Bible in a year program. And it was really good for last year. Tommy and I actually found out halfway through last year we were on the same reading plan. Oh, so okay. that was pretty fun. Yeah, that's but great. This year I'm doing a chapter by chapter. So even though it's less reading, I'm going more in depth with the stuff I'm reading. So I'm currently, I'm actually reading through Leviticus right now. So, oh, wow. Well, that'll um, get you up in the morning. Okay. But yes. <laughs> good. But um, having, if I can do Bible and coffee at the same time, that's a wonderful incentive to get the day started because I know my mind is going to be in a much better direction versus if I get up and 
something I have to be guarded against is I can't read the news first thing in the morning because oh, yeah. I'm still waking up. I'm still getting cobwebs out of my mm-hmm. head. So that's not the time to read about depressing stuff going on in the world. Yeah, that's true. Tragedies and all that. Okay. How about you guys? Yeah. Um, for me, I would say um, as far as with like I have pretty set routine, but I always find myself, it seems like I'm trying to cram it all in. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the, the point of irritation comes a little bit more where it's like, oh, I don't have enough time for this because, mm-hmm. you know, you look over and say, oh, the dishes could be done. Oh, this could, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it feels like things keep presenting themselves um, and getting in the way of that. But um, echoing John a little bit, definitely the coffee and Bible combo is uh, that's that's something that is uh, definitely key in the morning to, mm-hmm. you know, wake up. It gets you started and you feel refreshed and definitely ready to serve God on that day. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting you say that because for me, that will often happen on a Saturday. I have a hard time. Again, this is my all or nothing thing is to me, sitting down and reading my Bible with coffee implies like an hour or something. So I feel like if I'm going to do that and feel all rushed, then I'm just like, whatever, you know, I can't even eat. So it, I get very like weird about that because I assume it's going to be leisurely. And then when it's not, then I get frustrated. And so I've had to find different ways to work that in. But okay, go ahead, Georgia. How about you? Yeah, I think if I could pick an ideal morning, I'd be up at like 6.15, walking my dog and mm. then coming back and kind of going through the rest of my routine. However, I think the reason I'm not taking those steps is because it is a little too cold still. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. I won't be taking those steps until it is a little warmer in the mornings. But yeah, I think for me, I, if I at least have time in prayer, I mean, this is a different, this would be a different podcast, but for me personally, I like to read my Bible at night just because look, sometimes the word makes me emotional because it's so beautiful. And I don't like to cry before work, if I'm being honest. <laughs> so so uh, if I can at least, you know, have time in prayer, I think that's that's pretty substantial for me. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, awesome. Okay, so what what would you guys say, like, is there anything that you've adjusted to your schedule? Or is there anything that you feel like, oh, if I just tackle this at night, I mean, you're talking about actually, you know, doing your personal time with God, but what are some other like things that maybe you could do in the evenings to free up your morning routines? Or have you tried? Um, So I guess for me, going to bed on time is a really Mm -hmm. good one. And then also um, making sure that you're kind of ready to start your morning routine. So if that's, you know, getting what you want to wear to work out early, and then um, if you're doing something after that you got to bring, you know, if it's in the gym, fitness center, something like that, bringing that with you. Um, that is something that I've found is, is really helpful. So kind of putting yourself in a position to succeed before the day actually starts okay. is something that I've found is, has been really key in kind of maintaining a decent morning routine. Yeah. Okay. So to that point, let's just pause. What time are we all getting to bed? And is that a good time? Or <laughs> do you guys feel like that shifts a lot? Or do you feel like... I get to bed way too late, but I can't do it any differently. Where are you guys with that? It's got to be no later than 10. And if it's later than 10, I know for a fact I won't be getting up until 7. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if I go to bed anytime after 10, I set alarms for 6.15, knowing full and well 
I'm going to hit snooze on every single one of them. You're like, Georgia, you're like a 20-something toddler. You need your sleep. <laughs> no, literally, yeah. Yeah, so that that is kind of dramatic. Like, I can stay up, but I, I know full and well that, that it will affect how I get up. Okay, so you're pretty vigilant about 10 because you're a pretty social person. How do you do well, this? Well, uh, yeah, so when I say that, when I, like, when I say that that's, that's like more of the preference. Oh, okay. It doesn't happen all the time. And sometimes I'll be in bed at 930 and I'm like, this is amazing. And then other times I'll be in bed by like 11, 1130. And I just know that my morning is not shot, but mm-hmm. just I know that I'm going to be getting up at seven. I'm going to be a little more groggy. And that's just the reality of it. Okay. And I just squeeze everything I need to squeeze into within yeah. 30 minutes. <laughs> but I also, I look, I am very lucky. I live five minutes away from where I work. Okay. So yeah, that is pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay, how about you guys? What about your bedtimes, and are they decent? (laughs) Um, This is probably part of the reason that I struggle to get up in the morning. A good night for me is 11. Okay. So 11.30 is probably about normal. Sometimes I can do midnight. Okay. Um, I just, That's because you're reading the news then instead of yeah. in the morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's your problem. Um, anything past 12.30 or 1 a.m. I used to do that all the time in college, and now I look back on it and I think, how in the world did I do that? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. if I go to bed at 1 a.m., I am trashed the next morning. <laughs> yep. uh, that happened about two days ago, and I man, Grandpa. I felt bad okay. the next day. <laughs> I so <feel> bad. <laughs> so. Okay, how about you, Tommy? Yeah, for me, I would say, like, in a, on a good night, it would be nine to nine thirty. Wow! Um, so I, it's well, Georgia. He gets up at five thirty. Uh, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's here recently, like more around ten. But any any much past then, I'm I'm not much good in like a conversation. I you know as as the day goes on, I start to kind of get a little you know it's like ah oh, bedtime. Um, but yeah, I've I've found that that you know holding that strict morning routine does kind of you know <laughs> require decent bedtime as well. You guys are pretty disciplined because I remember when I was in my twenties, I remember I had friends who would on work nights go out like they would drive to another city and come back at like 3, 4 a.m. and be at work the next day. I mean, they would just like, yeah. And then they all said, then they turned 30 and they just couldn't do it anymore, you know? So that's very interesting. You guys are actually like pretty proactive. I appreciate that. That's good. (laughs) Um, I feel like for me, I, there are a few things that I've done because it's very easy for my morning routine to get derailed and it's kind of like especially if I get a call or I get something like work related or whatever if I don't hit my times of like what I have to be doing when I will not be in on time so it's a, a total mess so a couple of things that I've done that have really helped me are showering at night um, that has been a big help for me to get ready for the next day. I mean then you deal with especially women some train wreck hair but I find <laughs> There are ways to like fix that or whatever (laughs) that just kind of getting that whole routine down. And then also like picking out what I'm going to wear and or getting my lunch together so I'm not grabbing rice and canned meats out of my pantry Um, (laughs) like poor John. But um, but he does have that down at least. So that's good. But yeah, just kind of having that preparation, like my work bag, the stuff that I know I have to bring in. Otherwise, I'm like running around and I have memories of like, you know, high school projects where you're trying to find your poster board at the last minute and it just brings back some PTSD stuff. So I guess I would say that's that's true of that. So, okay. Um, any other like tips that you guys would have for folks about like what morning routines are, what they mean or how to maximize them? 
Yeah, something that is really helping for me is going back to really the night before Mm -hmm. is I've felt kind of convicted recently to be listening to things like worship music and even a sermon while I'm going to sleep. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I have literally found that it does make a difference Mm -hmm. for the morning after. I can tangibly feel that I feel better after listening to worship music, even though I was asleep. And so I have a room all by myself right now. So I have the opportunity to do that and it, or just put my earbuds in. And so Mm -hmm. it really is a wonderful thing to be able to just, while I'm sleeping, pumping God's word in my heart, because there is a very tangible difference that I feel the next morning as a result. Yeah. I know people who fall asleep listening to scripture, and that's Mm -hmm. been very helpful for them as well. And it's a good evening routine for them to get into the next day. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of echoing what John said. Something that I found is super also helpful for me is kind of making sure that whenever you plan on getting to bed, not watching youtube or like a bunch of like videos on your phone blue screens (laughs) um and (laughs) sorry Uh, uh, not uh, yeah it just i've found that it uh it keeps me up actually longer um Mm -hmm. and i don't end up getting to bed at the time that i want because you keep finding like the next youtube video to watch Mm -hmm. the next one the next one and Mm so you know that can also be something that kind of derails my morning routine as well if i get on that before getting into the word or whatever that looks like so yeah He's calling me out because, <laughs> because earlier we were talking about it and I watch a lot of the architectural digest videos where they go to famous people's houses and those are relaxing to me. So sometimes, yes, I do fall asleep watching those, but I read things like Jane Eyre before that. So, you know, <laughs> that's, I don't, you know, whatever. Um, I will Who say. also was in a very impressive architectural structure. Uh, yeah, in, yes, she was. So, <laughs> Mr. Rochester's you know, home. Um, okay. So I will say if you are looking to get like a routine in your morning, don't try to do it all all at once because mm-hmm. then you're going to set yourself up for failure. Like mm-hmm. if you're like, I'm going to start up waking up at 5.30, but your usual wake-up time has been 7.30 or 8, that's a lot to just start doing. You kind of need to start start slower. So maybe start working your way down to 5.30 or that kind of thing. Um, and don't try to crunch everything in all at once because, again, if you fail at it, you're going to feel like you messed up, you can't ever do that, your morning routines are going to be bad. Um, so just kind of start small things that you want to integrate into your morning routine. And then if you want to wake up earlier, start small, like start 15 minutes before your usual wake up time mm-hmm. until you get to where you are. Um, because like you said, building those habits takes time and you're not going to just all of a sudden be perfect at waking up at 530 when that's not your norm. I also think there's this big thing and I can't think of the word right now, but there's this kind of big movement where people just want to try to make their life very whimsical and like just kind of make it the beautiful life that you want it to be. So I think that's kind of important too, where you know, quit looking at other people and thinking, oh, their morning routine is so aesthetic and so cool. Mm-hmm. It's like yours can be that way, too. If mm-hmm. you want it to look a certain way or feel a certain way, um, you know, light some candles, like get ready. You know, you can make your life feel that way as well. You don't have to just look at everybody else's um, and think that you're a failure because you're not doing that. So yeah. I think it's really like looking at your life and being like, my life can be as amazing as I want it to be. I just have to stop 
comparing myself to other people. Yeah. I think choosing to add the time incrementally is really helpful too, because then you feel like, okay, and especially those of us now in the Northern Hemisphere, we're entering a season where it's getting lighter earlier, it's Mm -hmm. getting warmer. And so this is probably a great time to institute that because you might have more success on the front end of making that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, One other thing I thought was interesting, I have a friend who recently has been having a lot of sleep problems and stuff. And so she went to the sleep specialist and he talked to her about prioritizing 30 minutes of being outside and it doesn't even have to be like exercising or walking or anything like that but getting um, 30 minutes of sunlight on your face prior to 9 a.m. is very important in resetting your circadian rhythm so I thought that was really good so even like you know a quick um, if you do your bible reading and drinking your coffee outside you know on your porch or on a deck or whatever is probably good or even a quick like you know 10-15 minute walk at work when you get in or when after your first meeting might be a great way to to add that as well but um those are some good good thoughts so yeah so do you guys feel like where you are now I mean do you feel like you've improved over time well clearly John from college hopefully yours has improved (laughs) because you were obviously sleeping like 12 minutes a night then or whatever but I feel like I was there too I was a classic procrastinator never got enough sleep probably didn't even have (laughs) routines at that point but I mean do you guys feel like you're in a good place or if you could tweak one thing to it really what would you do moving forward man if I could get up at 6.15 and do Pilates and walk my <laughs> we dog. We have not heard about Pilates. Now you're adding something no, else know, to your routine. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. I, th- that's, that's been a goal of mine for the past, like, month. Okay. But I just think I've had a lot of different events and, like, hangouts and that kind of thing. So I haven't been in, successful in waking up super early. But I think, yeah, that's a goal that I have is to add working out in the morning because mm-hmm. I think once I'm done with the day – from work I just want to go home I want to walk my dog I want to hang out with friends the last thing I want to do is work out mm-hmm. so so I think if I added it at the front end of my day I think that I would feel a lot more successful and like I got that thing checked off my list um so yeah that's something I would like to add but that's just a personal thing some okay. pilates <laughs> no that's good <laughs> how about your pilates Tommy uh no <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, kind of to um, your point, Georgia, for me, I've found that if I've physically exerted myself kind of the night before, in my, I typically get decent amount of sleep that night then. So I that one thing that I would tweak is some type of physical activity if it's, you know, doing a decent amount of push-ups, pull-ups, going for a run, something like that, you know, maybe 30 minutes before I plan to go to bed, um, just so I'm like kind of ready like that tired at that point and kind of ready for the next day to begin that's something that i would kind of like to incorporate into my okay next the night before routine i guess i think uh from college i'm definitely better about getting more sleep now than i was then and some of that has been because my job starts at 8 a.m whereas with college classes sometimes we may not have a class until mid-afternoon so i am required to be up earlier so i have gotten better about getting more sleep. But I think one improvement I would like to make, and it goes back to what I said earlier, would be just getting in the word before Mm -hmm. work time, because I'm in such a better place mentally when I've spent time with God beforehand. Mm -hmm. Uh, Overall, I'm still pretty good about reading the Bible every day, but there is something special about starting your day with God versus Mm -hmm. just doing it right before going to bed. Like even last night, I'll be honest, I was so sleepy, and I did it right before 
I went to bed and I was having a hard time staying awake. Mm -hmm. I did it. I persevered. Mm -hmm. I finished the chapter. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, there wasn't that richness that I longed for that I would get in the mornings where I'm just dedicating that time to God and I've blocked everything else out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Well, um, these are great ideas, you guys, and I want to encourage you listening to find this post on social where we're going to talk about this and weigh in with your ideas, like what's been frustrating to you? What's been awesome? Is there anything that you've changed in recent months that we can benefit from? Because I think when we can encourage one another and kind of bolster one another's, um, you know, faith in the ability to see this be done and and go after some personal growth, it's always a good thing. So Mm -hmm. thanks, you guys. Yeah, thank thank you, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. everyone welcome to this week's culture segment here at the boundless show and by welcoming you to this week i'm actually welcoming you to the next three weeks because we're going to have a uh jp pecluda festival here um we decided to feature our dear friend um based on his latest book which is titled why do i do what i don't want to do if that sounds familiar to you um read Paul in the Bible, Um, but we're going to get into some of the specifics. So this is going to be a lot of like fun conversation, and it's always fun to welcome our dear friend back. He is a pastor um, at Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. He is an author. We've had him on the show for most of his books, I think, if not all of them. Um, He also speaks and he hosts his own podcast, Becoming Something, which is a great one to listen to. I would highly recommend you check it out on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you get your podcast. So JP, welcome back to the Boundless Show. Friend, it's so great to be back with you. I love, you know, I saw this on the calendar and I always look forward to these conversations. So thanks for having me back. Well, that is great. I am not sure your assistant is always happy when she's trying to schedule your time for these, but we appreciate her vigilance in making it happen. So. She is when it's you, truly. Oh, I mean well, that. I just, that is very that. kind, very kind. Well, um, because, you know, you just pastoring and speaking and hosting a podcast isn't enough. You are just continuing to write books, which is very exciting for us because we love to read them. And so um, this time around, we want to talk about now this is um, I'm going to start off with a weird question here. You wrote the book. Why do I do what I don't want to do? Um, is this weirdly autobiographical? Because I'm like, why did JP choose <laughs> yeah. this? The sub on this is replace deadly vices with life-giving virtues. And so I want you to self-disclose here a little bit. What's this about? 
Well, first, you know, the title I just plagiarized, Paul, as you said, in Romans 7. And then, uh, yes, it's the story of my life. I feel like I get to that section of Scripture, and I've never felt more understood than any other part of the Bible, where he just says, hey, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the bad things I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Who will save me from this body of death? And we get to that beautiful truth in chapter 8, verse 1, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so, yeah, I just, you know, I always thought church was this list of rules. It was no fun. God wanted to rip me off. He wanted to keep me from the temporary pleasures of this world. And I, when I really, when I actually became a Christian, when I placed my faith in Jesus, I got involved in a church. I became a member. I, I was surrounded by other true believers pursuing Jesus. I found that to be incredibly life-giving and and an adventure. And I thought, man, why did I get stuck at so many don'ts when Jesus said, I've come so that they might have life and have it to the fullest, that Jesus actually calls us to a full, abundant life? Like there's a lot of things, uh, you know, positive things to to pursue, to focus on. And so, yes, it is it is certainly a, a story of me hitting my head on a lot of hurts, habits, and hang-ups, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we're going to talk a little bit um, through this, and we're, we're not going to be able to hit all of these because, hello, folks, um, you just need to get the book, and we'll tell you how to do that at the end of each episode. But um, I want you to start. There's actually two sections, two large uh, sections to the book, one you call The Ancient Battles and one The Modern Wars. And I think it's a great way to split these topics because there's kind of those things that have been around since the beginning of time, since Adam, you know, Originally, uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and we now have original sin, and it's like, these are the ones that keep coming back at us. But now, as if those weren't enough to uh, tackle and address, hopefully with the gospel, um, we have a bunch of things that have crept up on us just solely out of cultural influence and where we are, um, as uh, especially as young adults today, the habits that we have, the habits we've built out of that. And so we're going we're gonna to drill down on a lot of these. Um, but I want to start out by, by kind of talking a little bit generally. You know, you talk throughout the book how, you know, none of us become Christians and decide, well— you know, thank goodness I'm a Christian because I'm basically a hardcore sinner and that's where I want to stay. Um, I just want to have the ability to to sin and, and then cross my fingers and hope that with repentance, God will forgive me and I can just, you know, have that kind of license or whatever. Very few people just say the one, my number one career goal is to be a hardcore sinner, but but we we find ourselves struggling with sin over and over and sometimes falling in light of the same sin. So my question is, you actually share a story um, in the book that really talks about um, how a drift can come about. And you even talked about, you know, as a as a child um, swimming and, and your mom. Talk talk to that about the application of drift in the Christian life. Yeah, sure. So the, the story you're talking about, I'll even back up and just say, a lot of your listeners have probably heard of the seven deadly sins. And so that list that actually started as eight evil thoughts in the, in the fourth century by a monk, Evagrius Ponticus, and the, the seven deadly sins aren't actually in the Bible. They're not listed. It, it's an idea that came from biblical themes. And so that's the, the ancient battles, if you were. And then, as you said, it's like, okay, how does this what does this look like today? We, you know, is this is this list of seven still the right ones? What would they be? And so we've tried to come 
up with this comprehensive list of 10. And what I've learned in ministry, and I'm, I'm going to answer your question directly about drifting, but what I've learned in ministry is it's not a long list of things that take people out. It's actually a pretty short list of things. Uh, this this list of 10, it's almost uh, anything that somebody finds themselves where they're stuck, it's, it's probably going to be um, some tributary, some branch of one of these 10. And you're right. I've, I've met with hundreds. I, I mean, truly in 17 years of vocational ministry, thousands of adults, and none of them said, hey, when I grow up, I want to be an alcoholic. When I grow up, I want to be an adulterer. When I grow up, I want to be, I want to be labeled by my sin. Uh, about eight years old, my we, we lived about an hour and a half, two hours from the coast, and I loved the beach. I went to the beach with my mom, and you know she was always a little nervous when I would swim out there with the undertow and the waves and whatnot. And she said, make sure you stay where you can see me. And she set up shop with the, the ice chest and the, you know, the um, umbrella and the towels and, and blanket and whatnot. And I went out into the ocean. And as I swam and snorkeled and, you know, looked around and, and I looked up to see where she was and she wasn't there. And I couldn't believe that she had the audacity to leave after she told me to stay where I could see her. And and so I, I went to the back to the, the sand, back to the shore, and I began to search for her to see where she, if she had just moved or whatnot. And she wasn't there, not even, not only that, but her car wasn't there. So not only did she pack up, she actually left. And I just was really exasperated by this, astounded by this, how could mom leave me? And then as I began to look around, I realized that I had drifted down the beach and it wasn't her that left. It was me that, that drifted to another place. And where I went back to the shore, it was a different shore. And that's a picture of what sin does to us is, is as we begin to focus on other things and, you know, just living our life, we get distracted and we slowly move out of right relationship with God. If we're not pursuing God, if we're not actively searching for him, seeking him, wanting to understand what his word says and, and really trusting him and enjoying him and finding life in his instructions, then we're, we're drifting. Yeah, it's so true. I actually like um, in the book, you you actually uh, describe it in terms of um, the fact that one way to, to marshal this, you talk about the influence of habit. And this was so um, really struck me because I just finished reading a book on self-control. And the author of that book said exactly the same thing about, you know, we can't just will, everyone has limited amounts of willpower. That is actually an exhaustible resource. And so so um, you say it this way. You say, we cannot stop a bad habit. We can only replace it with a good one. I become more and more convinced of that reality. We're creatures of habit, and so much of life is making sure we're building healthy ones, which is so empowering and so encouraging to know that, yeah, let's go after how can we be proactive in pursuing the things of God and the things that are right and healthy and focus on those instead. And I think that's a great way to think of it, even as we craft the rest of this conversation. Yeah, as you as you think in sports terms, it's like offense and defense. I think a lot of Christians, even ones that want to grow in in maturity and faith in God, they stay on defense. They're they're moving through their life and they're trying to not look at porn and they're trying not to get drunk and they're trying not to be materialistic and they're trying, you know, not to sin and rather than filling their life with the positive things of Christ. And I'm not this is not a 
just a Pollyanna, you know, positivity think that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, hey, what does it look like for us actually to go on mission, to understand, hey, we have breath in our lungs, like our heart beats in our chest. God has a calling on our life, and there's something kingdom worthy, like something of kingdom significance that he wants to accomplish through us today. What would it look like for me to begin to seek that out? And instead of rather just trying not to be materialistic, what if I tried to be generous, you know, and just kind of flip that on its head? And so that's a bit of the premise of this resource. Yeah. Well, and I want to dive into a couple of these um, before we end our first segment. So we have a little bit of time here. Let's start out with the first one you put out there, and that is pride basically versus humility. Um, And, you know, you, you talked about how if we really, I say this a lot too, you know, everyone's so worried about confessing sin to one another because we think that no one else has struggled with this sin. And I'm like, um, really, we're talking about, like, as you said, kind of five big categories here, and everyone's going to have struggled with, you know, one or probably more pretty consistently. So um, let's talk about pride, because the example you use in the book is basically about you. Um, but I think it's very uh, indicative and very symptomatic of a lot in ministry today. Many people in ministry. So tell your own brush with pride and how you came to realize it and what that looked like as far as moving forward um, in a place of repentance. Yes. As C.S. Lewis said, pride is the sin that made the devil the devil. And I think as we move throughout the list of 10, I think you will see that this one is foundational to the other nine, that there, if, if all of these were like a Venn diagram, there's lots of overlap and we could add to it. But really this, this one of pride of, of wanting to be a God, um, what he means is made the devil, the devil is, you know, we believe in this narrative that there was an angel that God made magnificent. And rather than worshiping God, he wanted to be worshiped like God. And so he was sent here to the earth. My own brush of pride is even, you know, not even, but especially in ministry, you know, I I went into ministry and it was, it felt like a a lot of sacrifice. It felt like my heart was pure. And I got to this place where I was asked to speak in places and asked to write books and had the pats on the back. And, and I just felt this spiritual arrogance. And so it's like, I'm running, you know, a hundred miles an hour. I'm filling the calendar. I'm going different places. I'm meeting people. I'm sitting in green rooms. And I thought, man, I, I took this career because I wanted to be a servant to the King. And now I'm starting to feel more like the King. And one day, you know, I had taught on anxiety and I had actually asked some people to pray, by the way, I just said, Hey, I feel like God needs to wrestle me like Jacob. And that's such a scary ask, by the way, just public service announcement. Mm-hmm. Be careful what you ask people to pray for. But uh, I I mean, anxiety just jumped on me like a, I mean, it pounced on me like a tiger. And I realized I when I had taught on anxiety, I was actually teaching on worry because this was a new emotion, a new feeling, a new sense. And, uh, and it was crippling. I mean, it truly like panic attacks, the whole deal. And I look back, and I'm not saying this is true of everyone, but I I can say from experience it was true of me that the foundation of of my struggle was pride and and arrogance, and I liken it to you know the illustration that I think of is we can all carry chairs, you know everybody's had to put up chairs, but we we can all carry different amounts, and if we carry too many those chairs are going to come crashing down and make a loud commotion. 
and metaphorically speaking, I had stacked too many chairs and I was trying to carry too many chairs. And in a moment, they all came crashing down. And so the Lord taught me humility through that. And I say humility, it's like the, you know, the the Navy suit that it just looks good on everyone. It's, It's great for every occasion. It's the thing that is always appropriate. And so the the first Peter five calls us to put on humility or be clothed in humility. Yeah. So what, um, JP, looking at and thinking again of the the whole habits, you know, obviously you had to do life in a different way. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't be all about like, well, I'm going to respond to this tweet and they're going to think I'm amazing and all that. And we know that many people, especially in leadership, can get caught in that trap. So what does crafting your week now look like for you? Like when you show up, you know, in the church office on a on a Tuesday, what are you doing to ensure? that you are in service of the king, you're not trying to be your own king? Well, it starts with, you know, before I can go fast, I have to stop. And so I learned that just the contemplative, like deep contemplative prayer, and you might call it meditation or Christian meditation, where I'm just reflecting on a verse, that that is necessary for me just to clear my head, to start my day in a place. I write down every morning five things I'm thankful for. And so just, which just, you know, I go to a chair, I stop. Um, I always like my quiet time was very like achiever driven, like, okay, how much do I have to read and what questions do I need to answer? And it shifted in that moment to be more like, hey, let's just sit with the Lord. Let's read something, but let's do a lot of listening. Uh, let's do some talking, but a lot of listening, a lot of thinking, a lot of reflecting. And so I, I have to do that. If I go a couple days without doing that, you're going to see it on me. I'm going to be angsty. I'm going to be short. You know, that's one thing. Other is just managing pace and uh, listening carefully to the people in my life that love me that are, you know, saying, hey, I think you might be doing too much. And rather than be defensive or feel like they're just trying to, you know, um, be the judge of me, I I lean in and I say, okay, help me understand why you say that and, and try to model, hey, here's I actually feel loved by you in the fact that you care so much about me that you would say hard things to me. And so have that accountability. I meet with uh, three guys every Thursday morning. And so they ask me, you know, three questions. How did you feed your soul, which is kind of input, um, what I'm listening to, what I'm reading, what I'm learning from God. How did you feed others, which is output, that's uh, evangelism, discipleship, equipping. And then how did you feed your flesh? And that's confession. That's, hey, what did I do that was in my strength? Where did I miss the mark? Where where am I not listening to the Holy Spirit? And so how did you feed your soul? How did you feed others? How did you feed your flesh? And so every Thursday I answer those three questions and accountability. My entire life is displayed to those guys. They know what I make, what I give, what I spend and where, and really have an understanding of, of where I'm going, who's going with me, and all of that which, you know, just being subject to that is helpful in uh, maintaining humility, if you will. Yeah. Well, I do want to dive in um, briefly here. The One of the other ones that you mentioned in the, in the first section under the ancient battles is lust and self-control. And this is, of course, anyone who's familiar with the seven deadly sins knows that there's application here and who knows our culture um, knows that this is a, a pervasive struggle, um, even among Christians. And so 
Um, let's talk about this a little bit, because I like how you start off this section by talking about, you know, we immediately go to porn and living with your girlfriend and sleeping around and whatever. But you're saying that the primary area where this battle begins to be fought is in our thoughts. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's um, you're James. <laughs> so much of what I write is plagiarized from God's word. <laughs> and and so the battle in, in many of these struggles starts in our minds and what you feed grows. And so when I say feed, you know, think, think about uh, think muse. And so if I'm driving down the road and this is, we're just really programmable beings. And I see that amongst my teenagers in my home. It's like, if, if you drive down the road and you begin to think about someone and you just let your thoughts run away and you think more and think more and you feed those thoughts, all of a sudden you feel feelings toward them and you want to act out on those feelings. Well, sin happens the same way. Lust can happen the same way. And for so many of us, we don't need to pull out our iPhone or computer or a magazine or a video, um, there's images stored in our brain. And maybe it's not even, you know, traditional pornographic images. It could be from the rom-com. It could be from a sitcom. It can be from our, our favorite, you know, our last Netflix binge where we, we just stored up some image and we put it back there in our brain and then we pulled it out later and, and just thought about it, reflected on it. And as you feed those thoughts, that struggle, those desires, they grow. And and when, you know, desires turn to action or sin, James says it leads to death. It, the death is born. When sin is born, death is, is present. And so that's, you know, that's the premise of that idea. Yeah. Well, and it's so true. And then as you talk through the book, you talk about moving that into action and how, and this applies not just to um, lust and sexual sin, but but any sin where we say, you know, oh, well, you know, that's really a struggle for me, or I fell again, or whatever. But then you look, and it's like, okay, do you really want, like, do you actually really want victory over this? I mean, I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves, because our actions are going to determine, really, the level of commitment we have to this. And so I know you mentioned, as an example in the book, you know, how many will come to you saying, you know, hey, I'm really struggling with porn, but you know, you're like, okay, what are the restrictions on your phone? What are you looking, you know, what are you looking at? Are you in a relationship uh, or in an accountable group where you're actually, where, where your life is exposed to others? Um, I think that is so often forgotten or even ignored. Yeah, we get so clumsy when we talk about sin. It's like, uh, you know, we're in accountability. It's like I slipped. I I tripped up. I, I fell again. I stumbled this weekend. <laughs> and it's, I, I'm I'm just a big proponent of making confession specific. Hey, I went here on my phone and looked at this and did this, and here's what I thought, and here's what happened in my day that kind of got me to that place of, of wanting to cope emotionally. And, I'm, and, and you know, people have asked, well, is that, is that like shaming somebody? I'm like, no, it's not shaming. The gospel gives us the freedom to say those things, knowing, Romans 8, 1, that we're not under condemnation. But James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, for the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And so if we're looking for healing, what the Scripture is telling us is there's a kind of healing that only comes by way of prayer, and so I do think that that is something that we need to to confess and ask for prayer for. 
And you're right. Like I've had so many people and I would, I would, you know, you might say young men, but lately, I mean, more and more, it's young women that come up uh, after a message and they're saying, you know, my, my story is similar to yours. I really need help. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, they'll say, I'm really struggling with pornography. And I'll say, how do you access it? And they'll say, well, my phone. And I'll say, well, where's your phone? And they'll say, well, it's in my pocket. And I'll say, well, you, I thought you said you were struggling. And they're like, I, I am. I'm struggling. I'm like, you, it doesn't even, and I'm not trying to lack compassion here. It doesn't to me seem like you've even begun to struggle because you're carrying it around with you everywhere you go. And they're like, well, what do you want me to do? Get rid of my phone? I'm like, well, yeah, in a word, yes, you know, or get a flip phone or some other kind of phone, you know. But Jesus says in Matthew 5 that if our eye causes us to sin, to gouge it out and throw it away, if our hand causes us to sin, to cut it off. And so it seems like he's telling us that it is appropriate to remove things in our lives that cause us to stumble like this. I'm not trying to be a legalist. I'm just leaning on the words of Jesus because I want the freedom that Jesus offers and really the freedom that I personally have found. I want that for other people. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, we're going to wrap up today our conversation for this week. And um, again, we've talked about specifically pride and lust uh, as being two of the ancient battles that JP really sheds light on here in this first section of his book titled, Why Do I Do What I Don't Want to Do? We haven't even gotten to anger greed and don't tell me that you're a young adult and don't have money so you can't be greedy not true um so check out that and then uh, also the topic of apathy which is uh hugely you know again one of those things that we're seeing especially in in younger generations in a lot of different ways so um check that out but in the meantime i want to let you know um that this book why do i do what i don't want to do is available to you this week um through boundless um by going to boundless.org you can just search for 796 that's this week's episode and uh, you'll see the book cover there just click on it you give a gift to boundless many of you already give regularly which is so awesome thank you so much And uh, we want to send a copy of JP's book to you as our thank you to you. And so you can make that happen. Um, JP, thank you so much. Uh, I know you're willing to come back next week and continue this conversation. So we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, friend. Looking forward to it.
Well, we are finishing out the show by opening up our inbox, and we have got one of our fantastic counselors here, Jeremy Keaton. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me today. Always good to have you. Well, you've got a little bit of a tricky one um, that I know has some nuance, and so I'm going to just ask the question and let you take a stab at this listener's concern. Our listener says, what advice would you offer to a virgin who's considering marrying someone who's not? And how can someone in this scenario deal specifically with fears they may have around this? Yeah, such a tender question. And I just want to affirm that um, it's good that you're giving voice to this. That That's the first most important thing. And any good and intimate relationship is based on safety, openness, and then intimacy happens out of that safety and openness. So don't hold back. Hiding Burying this feeling is not going to be productive. Um, And I think you can share your feelings or your vulnerabilities without casting judgment or even blaming, uh, certainly not condemning uh, your partner for his or her uh, prior mistakes. Um, Now, I do hope the prior sexual history is something you've sufficiently talked about, in particular, hopefully, in uh, premarital counseling. Not graphically, not in great, uh, you know, extreme detail, but categorically, uh, broadly. And uh, in premarital counseling, that can be really, really helpful. That's my main piece of advice is, are you getting some guidance around this individually and then as a couple? The past is the past, though, and, and those doors need to be closed, and that's part of forsaking all others. Uh, It's part of the marital vows, but some realities about the past can influence the, even constructively or even positively or wisely influence the future if you talk through some of those practicalities. And again, the, the details of that can really be covered well with guidance in counseling if there are some practical implications because of prior behaviors uh, that a person had in their life that you might need to plan through. You might need to understand how that might be a worthy consideration as you start your really beautiful and God-blessed sexual relationship. Um, But another tip I would give is to aim not to fixate on this. Um, It's good to process it, like I said, in counseling, but don't give this old history more power um, than it's due. The truth is, even if there's a sexual past with intercourse or even non-intercourse type interactions, each relationship is and can be unique, especially if there's repentance and change and a focus on the positive growth of what you're building as a couple, and you're building it now with God's blessing after your wedding. And really focusing the most on what the Lord is allowing you to build today is key rather than fixating on worry. And that's mainly how I suggest you face your fears. Don't deny your fears. Again, that processing is important. Name them, but talk them out with a safe and wise mentor or counselor. Um, But do be confident in yourself and in what you're building. Your partner has now chosen you, and you can relish what you're growing inside of God's blessing. Uh, You've heard that song, that phrase from a song, fear is a liar. Um, there's a good chance that fear is lying and creating insecurity where the truth is you can and do have your own unique sexual growth as a new spousal couple. Of course, 
Don't bury these things or be in denial, but don't give the past too much room to intrude between the two of you. And Lisa, I had a premarital couple um, that I gave this illustration to, and they actually used it in their wedding. I said, your sexual relationship is like a new blank canvas. And over a lifetime, you're going to be painting each of you with different colors, with different strokes, and you're painting a picture together that is your own. And they used that. Instead of a unity candle, or or they actually painted, began painting together mm. as part of their wedding. And they that hangs in their home, in mm. their bedroom. Now, and that's the imagery I want to offer, that there is still yet a blank canvas that is yours, that you're beginning to create this unique, personalized, one in the world unique a painting together that is your sexual relationship regardless of the past and it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5:17 through 20 where it says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come all this is from God and then it says Christ has reconciled us and we are reconcilers we're ambassadors of Christ and there is a redemptive possibility here and I do think the processing but also the not fixating and focusing on the new and what you're building can be done. Yeah, that's good. Good advice and thanks so much for the compassionate take on that as well because it is one of those things where, you know, it's it's the unknown, there can be fears around that am I choosing the right person and so I appreciate you really lending some good thought to that and some biblical wisdom behind that. So well, folks, um, we want to let you know that, especially for questions like this, I mean, it could be questions like this, it could be something from your past that, quite frankly, maybe you haven't uh, delved into at this point. We do have this counseling department here at Focus on the Family and at Boundless, and we always want to make you aware of that, of the opportunity to speak to a counselor for a uh, consultation, a one-time consultation, and often they suggest resources. They can kind of put you in a direction and even connect you with a counselor in your local area. And so you can find that person by either going to focusonthefamily.com slash get help or by calling our number at 1-800-THE-LETTER-A and the word family. And we'll have those linked as well in our show notes. So Jeremy, again, thank you for weighing in. Thank you. Well, as I often say, in the meantime, we will see you around next week. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him. Disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.